Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Welcome into 2018 on this show, New Year, and it's going to be a big one for us. Lots to talk about in the sports world. First up, Sean Sullivan. Sully's back to talk about the New Year's Six games, an unbelievable Rose Bowl that's all Georgia top Oklahoma in double overtime, and Alabama put the clamps on Clemson. We talk about those two games, an all-SEC title game, UCF beating Auburn and then claiming a national title, and other big wins by the Big Ten, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, respectively. And then Jose Youngs is going to come on the show to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 12. He is a huge fan of that. We break down the biggest pay-per-view Arguably in the wrestling year outside of WrestleMania, we talk about that. We talk about the NFL picks for this wild card weekend. The playoffs are here. You're not going to want to miss that. It's the Money Mitch Effect. It's a new year. Let's start the show. All right, Money Mitch Effect. Time to talk college football. It's 2018. This is the first, if it is the first voice you're hearing in 2018, then. Thank you for that. Uh, Sean Sullivan, Sully, back on the show to talk college football. Thanks for coming back. Yes, sir. Back. Thanks for having me, man. It's been good. If you've been sick, I think the one you know shining moment, I know the flu's going around, is that uh, we've had good football to watch. A lot of good football. You could sit uh, this past weekend, you could have sat on your couch and watched good football all weekend. So that, that is definitely a plus. It's interesting because we thought bowl season would pick up. I, I love bowl season as you do too. Even when the early games, even the games I where no one's the, there. I love the, the bad boy mowers Gasparilla Bowl just as much as anybody like else. The state of Alabama had like six or seven bowls or somewhere yes. in that neighborhood of games. And I love all that, the Bahamas Bowl, all that stuff. But we were expecting a ramp up mm-hmm. when the big boys started to play, when it really got to be big time bowl season. And we're going to start out with a bang on this show. The college football, bang, bang. The college football playoff, man. We have two SEC teams in the finals. But one game has gotten everybody's attention, and that's the Rose Bowl. For the second straight year, I think without question, the game of the year has been the Rose Bowl. And it's only fitting because it's college football's grandest spectacle, if not one of the sports grandest spectacle and then just sports in general i think that it's 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 an underrated uh um event across every sport up there with the masters and the super bowl and, and it's the reason why it's the longest halftime and show and, and all of them. the longest ceremony before the game and then yeah. the people that don't understand the it's an all-day event oh yeah it's like sure. those things you mentioned because there's stuff going on all day all day everybody's out on the on the uh on the greens and the fairways and tailgating outside of the rose bowl and i've never been it's definitely on the list um heck we have we have a buddy that's a fellow ohio state fan that won't go until ohio state is in the rose bowl and he but just full disclosure didn't grow up out here or else he would have had right, multiple else, chances yeah, yeah, absolutely. moved out here but, recently right Georgia wins that game 54-48 to in double overtime. We're going to break all that down in a second. But mm-hmm. I want to say it's known, and as a Big Ten fan, I know this pretty pretty predominantly, it's known as that rivalry game, Big Ten, Pac-12, yeah. historic. This was different. This was a playoff setting. This was SEC versus Big 12. That being said, the atmosphere was amazing in that you got the sense, especially from Georgia, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to play in this game. Oklahoma right. played there. I think about 15 years ago or so, right around there, mm-hmm. they won a game out there with Stoops uh, a year that you know the uh, BCS put those two teams in, in a title game mm-hmm. scenario. 
But so many Georgia fans, Oklahoma held up their share as well, just throughout the airports, throughout the beaches, around the city of LA. They were everywhere, and it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was, for for your sake and for the sakes of people. No, no, I know plenty of really good Georgia fans that that came out for the game, and uh, I guarantee you they had a great time because they ended up pulling out that dub. They were were sweating it there for a little bit. Well, let's talk about this game because the first half – was the Baker Mayfield show. Right. Like, it's the mixtape. It's the YouTube clips. It's going to be, I would say, you know, you, you work on an NFL network on those shows that break mm-hmm. down draft prospects. and going to see a lot do. of Baker first half. How much of when he gets drafted of that first half, a, a couple clips easily are going to be in his draft. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that there might be the first couple plays of the, of the very first VO after he gets picked around. I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but 10 to 20-ish. But even Georgia wasn't fully ready yeah. or didn't expect him to be as crisp, as dynamic. He looked His good. release was quick. That first half was the Baker Mayfield show, and they mixed it up. It wasn't just he's going to scramble and throw deep. They mixed in misdirections. They kept him off right. guard. And, and you got to give the O-line credit. Orlando Brown and the rest of those fellows up front for OU in the first half played an outstanding game. Baker wasn't hit until yeah. like can I just, halfway, three-quarters away through the second quarter. Can I just say to Orlando Brown Jr.? Totally didn't comprehend that that was Orlando Brown's son. Yeah. The same Orlando Brown that as Zeus, a kid I Zeus saw. Jr. The same Orlando Brown. I was at the game when he took out the referee for throwing that flag in his yeah. eye. So yeah. if you're listening to Orlando, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> but uh, the game itself, I mean, so Georgia came out and answered the first touchdown with a nice run from uh, Sonny Michelle, who I think we might be mentioning a little later in, yes. this, uh, in this segment here. But then Oklahoma just started pulling away, and the Georgia offense looked okay. But you got the sense early, at least, that OK wasn't going to be good enough to keep up with what Oklahoma was no, doing. No, and they were firing on all cylinders. And, and it was the Baker Mayfield show, and, and they were rocking and rolling. Exactly what we thought OU's offense could do against this UGA defense. But you, you got to give them credit, too. They made, they made some adjustments at halftime. Roquan Smith came out and played the game of oh, his yeah. life. Oh, yeah. And, and, and just before we get to halftime, yeah. they do the reverse pass to Baker. It was a, it was a great play call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched it live thinking either Baker Mayfield's the laziest blocker of all time or he's going to run a route here because he let two guys yeah. just go right by him. See ya. But it was the route. And the the most underrated play in this entire game mm-hmm. is Blankenship hitting a 55-yard field goal at the end of the first half. They're down a, by 17 points. That's a big one. He had already shanked one earlier. Mm-hmm. So he made that a two-score game from a three-score game. Goggles. Goggles. He's been a roller coaster of a kicker all all of his career, but he comes up big in the clutch, and that was huge from deep. With them getting the ball little, to start the second yep, half, a little too. bit of baby mo getting in the ball in the in the second half. I thought too at the time, like win or lose, that's a moment for his life. Like mm-hmm. he's gonna remember drilling that kick in the rose. But ball. you knew you knew Georgia at fourteen points wasn't a whole lot in this ball game, <laughs> and it, and we knew the way that they were running the ball in the first half that they were gonna come out and, and try to establish that again. And they certainly do. Sonny Michelle out of the backfield as well. Uh, and and Chubb. I mean, those guys, those guys were just. That's a, that's a, that's an incredible one, two punch. And, and I think out of anybody, I think Sonny Michelle helps his draft stock uh, immensely out of this game. Let's run through the numbers of those two guys really quick here mm-hmm. on the money. Mitch effect with Sean Sullivan. Michelle was 11 carries, 181 yards. Gross. And Chubb was 14 for 145. C- combined. They had five touchdowns and averaged 13 yards a carry. I know it's cliche, like, do your strengths and, and, and get better at them, but they started to realize later in the game, like, okay, this is something that Oklahoma can't stop. No, and, and they haven't stopped it all year. And they're, they, 
I tweeted out in the first half at one point, like, when is – it was probably after the second drive. Uh, when is, when is uh, Georgia going to establish a run? And they that second or third drive, they established it. They I mean, Chubb's, they didn't off the Chubb's touchdown run, he, he gets st- – what, what most backs would be, just completely stood up mm-hmm. at midfield and just keeps on trucking along. Yeah, that that and 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 both of them uh, had had multiple plays in that game where you're like, wow, these guys are both very very good at football. And I, I think uh, DJ brought it up today that that Sony made himself a lot of money. Yeah, um, and you know who else did? Got to give credit to Rodney Anderson was the leading rusher in the game. Yeah, 200 yards. That's big. And, and against 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 a uh, a pretty damn good Georgia front. Yeah, so, so that's uh, you got to give him credit too. Mm-hmm. But Georgia's run game gets them back in the game. They take the lead, and Mayfield looked pedestrian in the third quarter. I think part of that was maybe getting a little conservative, which we'll talk about here in a sec. But also the Georgia defense making adjustments. And you mentioned yeah. Raekwon Smith and the big boys up front and the secondary, which it's easy after you give up 31 points on national television just to roll over just like roll a dog and check out. But yeah. they bounce back they for the second half and into overtime. And I, and I think that. That is uh, a testament to to Kirby Smart and his staff. He's a defensive guy. He is I mean, a defensive guy. He's 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 a man after after following Saban for so many years is is going to make halftime adjustments on that side of the ball and and they they certainly did it. Uh, and then Roquan Smith, a couple of plays that he made where he should have been dead to his rights and he split split a couple of OU uh, would be blockers and, and made like some a just screen, ridiculous I saw a screen pass it's just ridiculous plays that dude that dude is a first him, round pick uh, yeah. if, if I've ever seen one at linebacker yeah, outside Buck, linebacker Buckus award winner for this year and yeah. really up for the task SEC defensive player of the year he's, he's won it all all the momentum swings in this game Sully and then we think Georgia's going to be fine. Oklahoma wakes up, ties the game, and then the one mistake Michelle made all game, the fumble. The fumble. For a touchdown. And that was a great play by OU, too. Uh, scoop and score, tight rip the sideline. And then, and then uh, you'd think, you know, that coming out of half that the, the turnover battle would be big, but both teams had a couple big turnovers. They did. They did. And uh, the ruling on the from shoveling pass, that, was, you know, that could have played a factor mm-hmm. as well. I got to talk about Jake Fromm here. I think this is the perfect time to do so because so much is going to be made about that Georgia defense answering mm-hmm. the bell and the running game, obviously. But one hell of a game, in my opinion, by Fromm. He looked so damn composed out there. Right, in the clutch for a time. freshman, that last drive, 110,000 people. That last drive is not going to be known as the Jake Fromm drive, but I think it should be Yeah, because he was calm, collected. He was calling out adjustments at the line. That's what I noticed. Everything was smooth. Mm-hmm. And he's an 18-year-old quarterback. I mean, that's that's insane to me that a guy can be that ready for the moment. I mean, we're going to just make our plays, make our adjustments. Everything, everyone's going to be set. We have plenty of time. It's flawless. And I don't know. I don't know if it, it, quarterbacks are competitors across the board generally. Like, I mean, I mean, most athletes are, but like quarterbacks are. You, they want the ball in their hand with with when the when the uh, when crunch time hits, and. If I'm Easton on the sidelines, that's kind of the moment where I'm like, all right, if I haven't already made my decision to transfer, that's kind of like it right there. <laughs> well, and you, but you can't be too wired is my thing too, because how many times have we seen the guy in that situation that not that they're not is, all competitors, but they're too geeked, too one big hyped, mistake, they overhyped. think, oh, I got this, I'm going to throw. I mean, we don't. I'd have to look at the all twenty two footage, but mm-hmm. there were probably times when he could have maybe gone For deeper something. and yeah, could ended the game, right? But he just takes what the defense gives him, orchestrates a nice three-minute drive, and and they scored. I, I was I was really impressed by Jake Fromm there. Mm-hmm. We got to overtime, first time in Rose Bowl history, which blew which my is crazy. mind. Crazy, 
which blew my mind. All those games, never right. overtime. But, uh, I mean, if you think about it, OT's only been around for, what, 25 years? Yeah. So, out of 20, but... Still. Still, there's been a lot of good games since then, and, and it, it, it's kind of crazy to, to think that there hasn't been one. There hasn't been, and we saw Georgia get held to a field goal in overtime. So, Baker Mayfield, if they I score... I thought that was it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people thought that was it. This is where I think Lincoln Riley deserves to be criticized. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that when they're playing with the lead with five minutes left, they should be running and gunning. I know some people have made that argument. I don't have a problem. But in overtime, you, need, you put the hand in the ball, the horse that got you it there. Was you one, ride the horse that was, got you there. It was one play in particular, just yeah. to be completely fair to Riley, because I thought in the first half he coached a great game. And, and all season. Really good half. I mean, he's a young head coach. He's still figuring it out. Right. The one play is that third one play. You're calling a reverse, mm-hmm. which was a phenomenal play by Raekwon Smith, by right. the way. Just, right. just running down a running back downfield. But that's when the ball needs to be in Baker's hands. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. Bad play call. And and I think you bring up a good point. A lot of people are, are railing on Lincoln Raleigh for that that overtime series uh, and just overtime in general of not putting more on Baker's shoulders. But he is young. And I, I doubt this is the last time we're going to see Oklahoma in this situation. And it people forget that this is his first year so uh, it hats off to him and that was a hell of a season by those guys and and they they uh yeah. they, they were they're moments away from from going, going so to close Eddie. that's how close it is one touchdown and they go but georgia blocks the kick on the start of the second overtime at 48 all yeah which look the best defensive sequence of the game without question because they had a pick in the end zone. They were offsides. I know mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield probably saw them offside and took a free play. Yeah, he took but, a shot. But the defense didn't know that. So yeah. they go from, all right, we're getting off the field to now we got to dig deeper on, a, on, a, on another play on a new down and make it. So, hey, man, I, I just yeah. – I, that was when – they held Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winner, to three points and two over. That was pretty much it. That's crazy. But that, that, was, that was it. I mean, Georgia still had to go out there and do it, and they put the ha- put the rock in the hands of a yeah. of a guy that that's sunny man. Just the sunny and Chubb show was unstoppable, the, and they, they they got it done. I'm and on the record saying though them. that they would have won that game even if Oklahoma kicked that field goal. I think Georgia was going to score. Yeah, they were going to score a touchdown, and I, they ended up doing yeah. it. So, so yeah. I, and, and unbelievable performance, great wherewithal. Kirby Smart, second year head coach, into the title game. Yeah, uh, last time that had happened. Last time a guy has won a title. In his second year with the program, mm-hmm. was not Nick Saban. Cause Saban right, fell forward. Think. Let's think. Let's think. Shoot, who would have that been? Jimmy Tressel. Oh, Jimmy wow. Tattoo Tressel coming up. Nick big. Saban made a title in Rio two, but didn't win it. I think they no. I think they lost to Florida in the SEC title game. Near two, I think, and then they went. Is that 07, 08? Uh, no, LSU won that title uh, with less miles. That's what we're. I, Saban was a year three guy. Year three, yeah. oh nine. You're right. So, year three, Jim they Trussell. lost in the Sugar Bowl year two. Yeah. So, but Kirby Smart doing something that is very, very rare, and mm-hmm. it's it's a combination of stacking recruiting classes. We talk about all these great athletes that he has coming in, but still having to win with players that he didn't necessarily recruit and getting them to buy into. Yeah, it's a great job by that that whole staff, and and I hope another Alabama former Alabama defensive coordinator gets it done in year two as well. Uh, we'll talk about Jeremy Pruitt here in a second, well, but yeah, let's dive right into Bama now. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's 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 do it. Money Mitch effects on Sullivan, college football, 
New Year's Six ish recap. We want to talk about the playoff games first in greater detail. But mm-hmm. the second game, if you liked points as much as the first game, wasn't for you. No. It was, I wouldn't say a snoozer. It was just a one sided football affair. 24 to 6 Bama, but that was not indicative of what the, how close that game was. In the first half. In the I don't first think half. in the second half. I either. think in the second half that, that Clemson wasn't putting up any points on that defense. The first half, though, Clemson got was the beneficiary of some turnovers and just some right. poor plays by Alabama's offense. But they were not going to score. No. I, and and maybe I that was maybe one I of the more smothering defensive performances I, we've seen you know what's in the past few years. Crazy. I think I underestimated or I undersold the Bama defense. I think my I, I think everybody undersold was, the entire team. Well, my thought process was Clemson. You need a player like Deshaun Watson to beat right. Bama, and that's still I think true. Uh, when you have a team built around, you know what Clemson does, mm-hmm. but, but with I, that defense, yeah, like, but but that defense, like, that might not be fair to Kelly Bryant. Like, I don't know many quarterbacks that are playing well when they play like they did no. <laughs> on Monday night. No, and yeah, you got to give got to give a hundred percent of the credit to uh, to Jeremy Pruitt and that staff. They they absolutely killed killed the game on on uh, on game day when it when it when it counted most and. Those guys were flying around, man. They were locked in, loaded. You heard all week from everybody that was down there in New Orleans that Bama was locked in. Out for blood. Watch out, out for blood. A team that had beat them. That somehow has year. a chip on their yeah. chip on their shoulder well, coming chips. in as an un- two chips. <laughs> two chips but the title and, and coming in off of a loss. After all they've accomplished, they're they're coming in as the underdog with the chip on their shoulder and that's just unfair to well, give Nick Saban a month. <laughs> Vegas a month to prepare. Vegas knew what was up. They knew they yeah. wanted an underdog. But yeah, give Saban a month. Clemson, I wouldn't even call it a championship hangover. I just don't think the ACC was that good. We saw mm-hmm. we saw Clemson all year. They slept rock through a lot of their games. They did. They should have lost multiple times along the way. And outside of that, Syracuse L with the back of quarterback that that you could make an argument that shouldn't have been their only loss. You see Saban just chew out his OC. Yeah, Debo. <laughs> Look, I Debo. We were talking about this before we started. Saban is kind of a crusty old guy. He's one of the greatest coaches ever, maybe the greatest college coach ever. But and Pruitt, there's times when he does that where it's just Kim being an old man, like it's unnecessary. But in that game, in that moment, there's there was legit gripes with you that. You give that defense more credit for more points on the board or being responsible for points right. on the board than his offense. Pick six, great field position right. that led to scores. Alabama's offense had issues that game. It wasn't like the you know Wayne Kiffin chew out. 25 points against Western Kentucky in the mm-hmm. fourth. This was this was different, but it does keep Saban sharp and on his edge, and um, you know makes what we're going to see even more spectacular. I, I guarantee you, he looked and uh, and looked at that stat sheet of what Anderson put up in the Rose Bowl, and he and he turned to today Bowl and said, "We're running the ball." Yeah, after the fact too, because Pruitt said he didn't know what the who won the game, and mm-hmm. I, I would believe Saban. Saban only watches the Weather Channel; like, right. he doesn't care. No, yeah, it's the Weather Channel, and he eats his two Twinkies in the morning, and has the same salad for lunch, and 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 mixes it up for dinner. It's weird that I know what Saban eats, it's but it's kind of weird. But Saban will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Saban, yeah, you got to run the ball. I mean, Hertz hasn't looked great. He's won a lot of games, you know. And you have you have but the second Bo best. And Harris are just. Uh, you have the second best three-headed monster in in Bo and Harris and Harris, behind of course Georgia's triple threat as well, and and they need to touch the ball. Ridley too. I mean, if, if, play, if Hertz is somewhat on, and I don't want to tell my hand, we'll preview this at the end, but. If, if Hertz is on, I don't know how you beat this Bama team. You he's don't. throwing to Ridley. That's you where you got to get to him and, and throw him off his rocker. But 
Yeah, just the dominant performance. Bama again, again in the title game. Oh, man. Fun. Oh. Bama, Georgia. Well, Gross. Uh, we'll talk about some other New Year's Six games here on the Money Mitch Effect. And Sully, I got to mention UCF because what they did on New Year's Day in the Peach Bowl beating Auburn was impressive. It's a really good win. They beat a team that beat the two teams playing in the national championship game. Yes. And they finished their season 13-0, and sending Scott Frost, who did coach the bowl game, off into the sunset. With and a fat check. With a fat check, absolutely. But the game itself, I mean, their quarterback just made plays. He Auburn did. was there, and he avoided them. He did. And uh, Bucky Bucky Brooks on uh, Move the Sticks NFL draft analyst was there, and he was walking around and said pregame that you, you look at the two teams, and they're just two completely different sets of athletes. You look at specifically when it comes to the line of scrimmage, and they, UCF shouldn't have been – hanging with Auburn, but they did. And, and you, you listen to the UCF coaches afterwards, they were even shocked how they were basically neutralizing the line of scrimmage. And that was the difference in the ball game. They, they, gave, their, they gave their quarterback a little bit of time, and he's, he, you're right, he started making plays and got a little confidence there at the end, and that, that was the difference. Mackenzie Milton, just phenomenal on third down, especially in the red zone. Yep. Uh, 34-27 was the final. Auburn made a push. They started the game off very poorly on offense. Great in the early second half running the ball, and then UCF counterpunched. It was a great win, but I got to say, it's kind of ridiculous that they're claiming a national championship. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not the natty. You're not playing for a national championship. You put Auburn in a game where they're actually playing for it. You, you put that exactly, on the line. Exactly. The team, the team is going to walk out there and can run I, all over Can you. I also say, too, like USC won the AP poll the year that they split the title. Mm-hmm. Auburn didn't. They were number two runner-up. And they, and they had a legitimate argument. I'm not against giving rings out that say, you know, something inscribed like champs, like perfection or whatever. Yeah. Um, and if you want to pay your coach a little so you, money, so you pay a little money. The, but the banner the, and the parade And the Disney ridiculous. parade. Uh, yeah, uh, that is a little ridiculous. That's where I draw the line. Look, yeah, let your team have rings. Like 13 this, and no. And this isn't the first time uh, uh, a group of five team has gone undefeated and beat a power five team in a, in a, no. in a bowl game and gone undefeated. Utah's done it a couple times, and, and it, it's, it's, it's happened, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 times. change the setting, times. it changes everything. Right. And, and, you, and you change what is is on the line, it changes the team's mindset. If you're actually playing for rings, I think that Auburn Auburn team would have gone a little harder there in the first first half. Well, we're getting into that four-team, eight-team playoff debate, and, and I know both sides. I understand both sides. I just – my reasoning for being on the side with four is I like the fact that we still get big-time regular season games. Every, obviously, you need to tweak, I, we need to tweak some stuff up. I think you could still get that though, not, maybe not as much, but with the with the three at large bids, you just need to put a heavy emphasis on strength of schedule. I to think get in. My counter to that would be look at what Wisconsin did. Look what look at what some of these schools that didn't have the hardest schedules could just fall over backwards. You can go, you can lose, go both ways. Lose one law, lose one game, play one tough game, lose one game, and you're still gonna be in the top eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, to me, would be an incentive of, well, we don't need to schedule, you know, the big non-conference game week one or week two or week three. If Ohio State doesn't play Oklahoma, Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl? Probably not. Yeah. If, they're, if they had no other game on their schedule and they just you lost just, to you Iowa just, you State. You just have to make those three so. large teams the three best teams. You're basically turning the what you're trying to do with the four into the three. You know, and this year we had the argument with UCF, they're undefeated. Like, okay, maybe, you know, they get in. But... It's not always going to be this perfect. What if there's two teams 
from outside the Power Five that are undefeated? What if there's more teams at seven, eight, nine that have two losses? No, there's yeah, no perfect system. Be. There's no perfect system. It's it's college football. That's that's part of why we love it. It is so wacky. Yeah. And yeah, I, cool. I, I I think we're gonna debate this this eight team playoff for a bit. We will. We will. I, I don't know what's gonna but happen. UCF wouldn't have won a national title. Get just, out of here. Let's just yeah. I'm I'm yeah. siding with the SEC today. It feels really weird. It what? I know. Really <laughs> I know right? But Sully, gotta talk to happier things for me. Yes, Buckeyes beat USC in the Cotton nice, Bowl. The nice, twenty-five nice year career of JT Barrett is officially over. Yes, he it was a uh, nice journey. Yep, yep, yep. He finally, uh, finally gets to go out on a on a nice win after you know running behind Orlando Pace and throwing to Chris Carter back in the day. Yeah, he's I'll finally done. He, him and Archie, you know, built this program yep. from nothing. I know, and, uh, I know. But the story of the game was kind of what I thought it would be. Ohio State's D line just owning USC's O line, and that was Sam, a, that whole defense. Greg Schiano got to give him credit. That was a they, great the game. Skies plan. blitzes. They, they were mixed coming up late. Their coverages. It was great. And Sam Darnold didn't play great, but I, I dare you to find many quarterbacks that would have played well in that game with what happened. He absolutely, good absolutely. Throws. And and that's people point to Baker's performance versus Darnold's performance, and that that's going to be a, a measuring point between the two going going forward, going into draft season, now that Darnold's officially gone in the 2018 draft, is that they're going to compare those two games against Ohio State. I think that's unfair because you look at what Oklahoma's offensive line is, what they did in that title game uh, or that semifinal game against Georgia and their front seven is proof that – Baker can stand back there all day and not get touched, whereas Darnold is getting pelted wave after wave from that 12 deep, 10, 12 deep, four, five star exactly. studded defensive line from from Ohio State, and it's unfair. Six deep, easy. You can't, that's not a fair. That's not a fair comparison between it, those two guys. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think. It, this also was the perfect game to sum up JT Barrett's career. Where if you're a USC fan. And we know a lot of those. It's like, okay, well, we're right there. We're just close. He just made a play. Like, I don't know how he did it. It looked ugly. Yeah. But that's just how it was. Yeah. Uh, I, I, right? I mean, it just, he got results. Yeah. Like, it wasn't pretty, but he was. And he had a lot around him, and and he's he's broken every record there has to be broken in the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. And you got to give him a, 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 a boatload of credit. Where, where do you put him all time at Ohio State, oh, at QB? Man. He's got to be up there. He's up there. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be hard to put anybody ahead of what Troy Smith accomplished in those two years in recent mm -hmm. memory, but he's up there. He's probably right behind him. Right behind him, two or three. You know, for stats wise, it's just stats wise, he's number one, obviously, yeah. and everything. But, but yeah, rough one for the good game. Rough one for the Pac-12 though in both seasons. Rough one for the Pac-12 for the SEC. It not was the Big Ten. Not the Big Ten. Though. Those was, other two New Year's six games though. Right. Were that we didn't talk about Wisconsin and Penn State triumphing. Wisconsin just snatching the turnover chain right off of Miami. Dude, that celebration was nice. It was a team that had its emotions with like Wisconsin that played out like a lot of people thought it would have Wisconsin won. And and fall behind early, no problem. We're just gonna run the ball. Our defense is gonna not wear turn them the down. ball over and we're gonna just gonna keep pounding it and keeping it on it's the a ground. Well coached team. Well-coached team, and and you could see the frustration at the end of the game and all those celebrations when they're starting to pull ahead a little bit of hearing all year, they don't deserve to be here. They're, they're an average football team with a weak schedule. Doing it in Florida, in yeah. unrivaled turf, essentially. 
Yeah, I know it's, it's. I mean, yeah, it's a motivation. You know, it, it might not mean much. It's not to like the outside, the, but in the locker room, they're saying in the locker okay, room. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but the Orange Bowl outside of the Notre Dame game earlier this year hasn't been exactly right. a, a fortress of 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 an impenetrable yeah <laughs> an impenetrable for, impenetrable fortress uh, to go on the road and, and, and not get a dub lately. I just wasn't buying a lot of Miami down the stretch. They were beat up. But Saquon Barkley did to Washington, though, was incredible. That dude is a freak show, and we, we've known about that for a while, and, and he's going to be one heck of a pro, and I cannot wait to see where he goes, maybe to your brownies at maybe. four. Yeah. Maybe have a little Darnold Barkley. Well, you see, uh, Darnold and Barkley are similar in the sense that you just have to go sometimes. Like, and, and Barkley, it's for he's a running back. Don't want to take too many unnecessary I think hits. that's he's always. Running. Darnold, I say he needs to go because what can he develop in that offense at USC that he. Like, not, what's he going to learn in this next year? You're not. You need to go. And, and, and I think with anybody in the backfield, quarterbacks are, I, I, quarterbacks are a little different because you're right. If, if you're in the right situation and you have a really good team coming back, it does benefit you to come back and learn a little bit more yeah. and sit and mature, which I think Darnold could use a little bit. I just don't but, know if that's for him, though. There. Mm, no. Play Helton's system is just no, that. Yeah, that, I, I completely agree with you there. I, I think it, he's, he's, he's ran his course at USC, and I think both of them have, have made – Rosen and Darnold made the right decision. Same day decision. They're, they're buddies. You know they, that that played into it. They they definitely planned that for a while that they're going to announce on the same day, drop, drop a couple – Tweet slash video within so, 45 minutes of each other or whatever it was. My, my initial reaction to – and there's a lot of time before the draft. Just as a Browns fan with picks one and four coming off of a, a throwing – Draft season. season. Yeah. I think I, I would be hard-pressed. I mean, they're going to take a quarterback. Barkley would be nice, but I think they're going to take their guy at one. Yeah. And Barkley may not be there at four. But one of them will be. That kind of takes it. That kind of takes know. It out of your hands, though. So that's the thing. I, I, here's what I'll say: my bold claim right now, and I know I'm a Darnold fan. I think there's a legitimate chance it's going to be Allen. Yeah, at one as their quarterback, maybe one, maybe four. I, think, I just think I think you're right because a lot of scouts and organizations don't put the pin down when you're when you're looking at a player in in draft season. Once you start diving into combine and the combine and the Senior Bowl. And from I've, I haven't seen Josh Allen obviously play live, but uh, I can't wait to do it. And mm-hmm. the dude, the dude evidently is just a a warm up and and Sling live it. arm <laughs> freak. And the dude's warm up are supposedly down just, a little bit, you know. I yeah, mean, Flacco and now Wentz recently, and it's like you can commit early to these guys. DJ and Bucky have called. Josh Allen, a a scouting narcotic. When you go and watch him, that's how just big, athletic, and Sounds can addictive. throw the ball. Yeah, <laughs> can throw the ball over the moon. So he's gonna he, he's he's gonna be there. He's a top ten pick. Well, Sully, for right, 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 oh, yeah, or I not. Mean, no later than where's Denver at eight or nine. <laughs> yeah, that's as far as. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the, how do even goes John so John Elway and the, their whole their whole front office was at the Idaho. Farms potato yeah. ball or whatever. He'll grow his hair out and come in a Ric Flair suit if he can get <laughs> out. He will. Yeah. Uh, Sully, before I let you go, Money Mitch Effect. It, it was really funny to see Michigan be the only Big Ten team to lose. That was pretty like, funny. They, if the Big Ten to Jake Bentley in the, in, the, in the game talk. Total meltdown on New Year's Day. It was the perfect way to ring it in 2018 for me. But <laughs> lastly, some thoughts on this title game. Georgia and Alabama. 
We all know the stat Nick Saban 11 and 0 against former assistants, but we also know mm-hmm. that no one knows Saban like Kirby Smart does of all his assistants. Yeah, and I don't think he's he's gone up against a team that this is that I may be wrong on this, but out of those 11 games, it's as talented or or uh, as deep as this Georgia team is. But you're you're not going to beat Nick Saban at his own game. They're going to try to run the ball and play defense, and Nick Saban is going to do it better than you because he's got better athletes across the board and they are deeper and and it I, I can't see anything but Bama in this game. Really? Yeah. I I'm gonna say Bama by a field goal to hedge the I think Georgia can cover this spread. Yeah. Because they have a running game that is elite that is gonna go down in history one way yeah. or another. That said I agree with you. I think Bama in the trenches, unfortunately pains us both to admit it has the advantage over Georgia in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Ray, we mentioned Raycon Smith, but Bama can go with me if it's Patrick or whatever other blue tripper you want to name on that. Or Sean Evans is 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 going to be a first round linebacker, just like just like Smith is. I just think Hertz is the key factor, and I don't see him playing great. I see him doing just enough to win, a lot like he's done. Mm-hmm. And I would say this game is going to go to the team. And him being there too, it definitely helps. Not that not that Fromm's going to be bug eyed here at the Natty. See low scoring. Yeah, I, I think it not quite like the LSU-Alabama game, national title game from a few no. years ago, the other SEC like on SEC 21, battle. 21-17, 21 yeah, maybe Around there, four. yeah. It's four and a half is 17-14 maybe is about as low yeah. as I'd see it. But. I'd say about 21-17. I'll say Bama by four. Okay. They don't. They have a pretty terrible kicking game, so maybe they miss some field goals. And, yeah. You know, But I would love to see Georgia. I mean, I know you really – this is like the worst-case scenario for you. Mm-hmm. Georgia that. winning? Yeah, it would be because or this I, game, I Bama, guess, in general. This game in general, right? The only, the only, Florida, the only way Georgia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Florida, Florida, Georgia, or Florida, Alabama would about the only way. I, I think Florida, Georgia would be the worst because well, it would be darn near impossible. Well, I mean, not after this year, but right, it would, it would, it would be. But I think that the issue with Georgia winning for the SEC in general is that for Bama to win another title, it's just basically white noise at this point it's ho-hum here comes Saban right. all right they win another title yada 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 they're number one but if Georgia wins that could that could flop the conference a little bit and then and then smart has already set up a pretty good perimeter around Georgia and shut down in-state recruiting and if they win a natty that nobody's nobody's leaving that safe for the next four years and they got a lot of talent in the peach state wow well if Georgia wins there'll be six SEC teams in the last 20 years to win a title yeah and one of them's not in the orange and white uh Bum, 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 bum. Well, so hey, hey, 19 years ago today. Okay. Really, really good, really good day for this guy. Day. All right. Yeah. 19 years ago, you were there. I was there. So there we go. Oh, we little Sully. All right. Well, Sully, this was fun. I'll let you get going to watch the uh, the Under Armour game. Yeah, going to watch. Uh, yeah, you got you got the future fields that that's going to Georgia. <laughs> of course, right. Yep. And Starting sure in that Bama's game. Got some players there as well. Yeah, they have a big DE. Clemson's got another big DE, and uh, Tay Taylor, wide receiver. Tennessee commit. There you go. Sean Sullivan, Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for joining the show. Huge thanks to Sully for coming on today's show and breaking down college football like only he can. He does some great work for NFL Network on the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks and some other great shows as well. Check out a lot of the podcasts NFL Network has to offer and see some of his work there. 
bowl season never disappoints. I know it's over and we're all sad, but there's still one game left. It should be a great championship game between Alabama and Georgia. Even if you're not an SEC fan, lots of NFL talent on that field should be a great game. And now it's time to talk to Jose Youngs. He covers MMA for SI and fan-sided. He's on this show a lot. He, he knows his stuff there, but we're going to talk about something he also knows his stuff about. That's wrestling. That's New Japan Pro Wrestling. Wrestle Kingdom 12 took place January 4th. And we got to break all that down. There was a lot of uh, North American wrestlers on there. Jose goes into great detail. It was a great show. I'm not a huge fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling, but I'm becoming one in large part because of this great show. And, and Jose's going to break all that down. And then we're going to make the NFL picks for this wild card weekend. A lot of home favorites, but there may be some upsets there. It's Jose Young's Money Mitch Effect. Here it is now. All right, now with us on the Money Mitch Effect, back again, SI fan-sided MMA writer, but more importantly today, wrestling fan of all cult- cultures, Jose Youngs. Thanks for joining the show. Anytime, man. I'm always glad to talk about MMA, but it's always a treat talking wrestling with you. That's We're going to do something we haven't done before, and we're going to lead off with wrestling because I don't know if as many people in this country realize what went down uh, today. As you're recording this on the East Coast, um, but Jose, this morning in the U.S. was when Wrestle Kingdom 12 took place, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I don't, I think it's safe to say, I don't know that I've ever come in contact with anyone more excited for this pay-per-view than yourself. Yeah, I mean, I've been looking forward to this uh, since the, since last, since WrestleMania 11, Wrestle Kingdom 11, and uh, I I'm always excited for the Wrestle Kingdom, for those who don't know. I mean, I was on your show a few weeks ago, and we kind of touched upon it, but if you didn't listen then, Wrestle Kingdom is uh, New Japan's WrestleMania, uh, but the difference is they have it every, every January 4th. So no matter what day of the week that is, that is when Wrestle Kingdom is. And uh, it's, it, is their, it is their WrestleMania. They don't do nearly as many pay-per-views as the WWE does, so it seems like it's... It's a bigger deal when it when it goes down. And last year's Wrestle Kingdom really set the stage when we had the when we had the Kenny Omega, uh, Kazushio Okada match that was the first six star, uh, rated match in Dave Meltzer's career. Well, second, but the other one the the other one was like decades ago and it wasn't televised. Uh, this one that one really set set the standard high for for New Japan, put them on the map. Uh, Kenny Omega did a lot uh, throughout since then in the, in the last calendar year. To really uh, raise, elevate the New Japan uh, name, I uh, had a, had another matchup with had another pair of matchups with Okada. Uh, during this time, uh, the Western audience really got to, and I know I know I talked about him a lot with you. Uh, the Western audience really got to know uh, see Tetsuya Naito, who, in my opinion, is the best character in wrestling right now. Uh, he's my favorite professional wrestler. He wrestled Kazushi Okada for the heavyweight championship in the main event. Uh, so Okada, Naito, and Omega, and then obviously mm-hmm. Tanahashi, who uh, is basically the John Cena of New Japan. He's about—I think he's the exact same age. Honestly, they made their de- wow. de- debut at the same in the same year, and uh, like 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 you know, John Cena is the face of the WWE. His face is everywhere. Uh, he does everything. He's he's headlined the most WrestleManias. He's one away from breaking the record. And Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, has main evented I think ten Wrestle Kingdoms. This is the this this matchup. This Wrestle Kingdom today was the first time he hasn't been in the last two. It's kind of a changing wow. of the guard. 
So it was a, it was a really historic uh, event considering Tanahashi wasn't in the one of the final two matches. Which if you said that three years ago, that's unheard of. That's like saying Johnson is not on WrestleMania, yeah. but he's healthy and good to go. So wow. it was a very historic moment. I was very excited. Well, yeah, and it sounds like similar to Cena, Tanahashi is um, getting to that age where he yeah. can't carry the company. He's very banged new, up. There's new stars coming up and. It's interesting. You know, I was like you. I knew this pay-per-view was taking place around this time. But uh, unlike you, I totally misconstrued the fact that it was going to be during a weekday and the time change. So I didn't I didn't set my alarm at 3 a.m. Eastern time, <laughs> you know, or, or stick it up all the way through the night. But I did catch uh, a good amount of the pay-per-views, the last couple matches in their entirety. And I want to ask you this first. Because there was some, uh, there were some American, North American wrestlers on this undercard, yeah. so to speak, of the not counting the last two matches, which we'll get into entirely. But what were the standout matches of those first four or five matchups to you? I I, I like to see the the Young Bucks on there, and yeah. Cody Rhodes out there with the blonde haircut. Uh, I thought that was interesting too. Maybe his best match ever. Oh, for sure. I think it definitely was his best match ever in terms of uh, the undercard. What Wrestle Kingdom always does, which is kind of exciting, is uh, the Royal Rumble always happens in January in the WWE, and then WrestleMania is always in like April or March. But at Wrestle Kingdom, they always do the New Japan Rumble is always the first match on Wrestle Kingdom, and it doesn't really have any connotations like winner gets a title shot or anything. It's more uh, and in, in, uh, enjoyable for the fans. They bring a lot of old wrestlers, um, uh, like Tiger Mask is always in it, Yoshihashi, uh, Yuji Nagata, who's one of who's like 50 years old. So it'd be like just having a Royal Rumble and just having like all the stars from every generation ever just have a really fun Royal Rumble. That's always fun. Uh, the Young Bucks, like you said, uh, always steal the show. They, I, they defeated Rapungi 3K. Wasn't really sure about that booking, but that that seemed to be the theme of the entire event. A lot of excellent matches, questionable outcomes. Uh, the Young Bucks, I believe, set the record for most. Uh, junior heavyweight tag team title championships where oh. punky 3k was was new on the scene because what new japan does is they they have the new japan dojo which is like their minor leagues or nxt where they basically groom the neck the next generation of stars and they do they these next generations of stars are in all the dark matches and they do it they they all wear black trunks and black boots and black elbow pads they all look exactly the same so you know that they're just warm they're just trying out so don't hold, hold their mistakes against them from there, they go on this thing called an excursion where they'll go to another country for a year or two and really develop their character, uh, which is what Naito did. He left Japan to go to Mexico and then came back as a megastar. Rapungi 3K just came back from Ring of Honor, and this is their first uh, Wrestle Kingdom since their excursion. Don't know why they lost, because they're very young and they're up and coming. Uh, they're the, the the third version of the Rapungi tag team after Rocky Romero and Tremperetta broke up earlier this year. But excellent match. Uh, then they always have this uh, this gauntlet six man. That what what New Japan has is they have a six man uh, tag crazy. team title. Yeah, so they'll have like three on three on three on three on three, and then the winner gets uh, the the open the never open weight six man tag championship. So you can be any weight. Never. It's open basically weight. Okay. exactly. So uh, the, the, the Young Bucks win the junior heavyweight, and then there's obviously the heavyweight tag team. So there's two weight classes in New Japan. Uh, and then they have the never open weight six-man, which is like if the New Day in the WWE had, they had three belts instead of two, and they traded them around, 
chaos and and one of the things with japan is they're very big into these teams like there's chaos there's the bullet club there's suzuki goon there's taguchi japan like every single wrestler in new japan basically has to pick a team it's like required or if you're a big enough star you create a team like when shinsuke nakamura before he went to the wwe started chaos and then when he left okada took over as the leader so chaos won no surprise there bullet club kind of had like all the bull, all the big Bullet Club club members were in their own matches throughout the card, and then basically all the leftovers were thrown into that match. Suzuki Goon's very popular. Hey, by Suguchi the way, J- I saw Taki Michinoku on this card. Somebody I remember yeah. from my childhood. Exactly, man. I mean, you you get you get some random uh, people showing up in in real fun spots, and uh, which is why New Japan is is such a fun time. They they really do take the time to cater to their fans and give him the, these one-off special moments. So Chaos won that. It doesn't really have it, – it's these. this open six-man tag is pretty much like – you know how every WrestleMania they have that seven-man ladder match just right. so they can throw on a Money bunch of guys. Bank. It's pretty much that. Exactly. It's pretty much that. It's all high spots. It's all crazy moves, and it's it's always a blast. And then from that point on, like you said, Cody Bushi versus Cody Rhodes – I think this is Cody Rhodes' best match ever. And when they announced this, I was not high on it whatsoever because Cody Ibushi, I think, is the most athletic wrestler in the world, not named Ricochet, but Ricochet is going to the WWE, so he wasn't on this card. But I think Cody Ibushi is the most insane wrestler. Like, like picture Jeff Hardy in his prime, but just doing crazier stuff and jumping off of crazier stuff. I mean, he was told, hey, you can't jump off this balcony uh, or we'll <laughs> never be able to do an event here. Cody Bushi's like, yeah, no problem. So what's he do? He goes out and jumps off the balcony. He does like a shooting star press off a two-floor balcony onto a person. Crazy wow. person. Like, has no regard for his safety. Like, his neck is in shambles. That's uh, not good. <laughs> no. He's one of the. He's probably one of the five best wrestlers in the world. Uh, doesn't really care about winning titles. He, he He's very big in not signing exclusive contracts. So basically, New Japan will just rent him, and then he can do whatever he wants. Uh, he's very, he's in high demand throughout the world because he could be wrestling in front of five people or 50,000 and you're going to get an insane match no matter what. Wasn't high on him against Cody Rhodes just because I didn't think Cody Rhodes was athletic enough, but he absolutely, uh, proved me wrong. And when he hit that crossroads off, he hit a crossroads (laughs) off the mat onto the concrete floor. And I thought Cody, I thought Cody Bushi was dead and he, he got up. So uh, great storytelling, and Cody Bushi actually had a tag team with Kenny Omega when they were young. So I thought Ibushi and Omega were going to match up in this because the the, the storyline is there because they're best friends, and Cody Bushi actually taught Kenny Omega Japanese when when, when wow. Kenny Omega moved to Japan. So I thought that storyline was set, and in this one, Cody is mocking Cody Bushi with Kenny Omega, saying like. Uh, all like I'm better than Kenny and this and that. So I think this is going to set up a Coda, Cody and Omega storyline maybe for next year. I think they're because wow. like I said the last time we talked, New Japan like plans out their storylines a year in advance. So I think next year we might get a triple threat just because we kind of have a, a a battle of power between those three. Absolutely. And obviously, exactly. And I and and I if you would have told me a year ago that Cody Rhodes is going to be in a triple threat with Kenny Omega and Cody Ibushi, I thought he would have been the most out-of-place individual in the world just from his style, but he proved me wrong. He and he, 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 I actually, yeah. 
I actually want to watch that match now. And then you got Los Ingo Bernables won the they they uh, won the tag titles from the Killer Elite Squad, and Los Ingo Bernables is Naito's um, uh, stable, which he came over and created from Japan. The Killer Elite is just David Way Smith, Lance Archer. They're two former WWE guys. Uh, their gimmick is they're just really mean and they hit hard. So it is I, what and, it is. And I know it's Bulldog's son is Davey Boy Jr., right? Yep, yeah. exactly. He used to be part of the Hart Foundation with uh, yeah. Tyson Kidd and mm-hmm. Natalia back back in the day in WWE. And then LIJ, Evil, and Sonata, I just think, are two of the most unique-looking wrestlers in the world. Uh, they're, they're poised for really big things down the line. Just Naito is the biggest star in Japan right now. So they don't want to push them and have them get overshadowed. It'd be like being in a, a a stable and having Stone Cold as your your leader in like 1999, and then you have like two like John Cena and like Randy Orton also in your group. Right, have like to break away. Exactly. Eventually, they're going to have to break away, but now's not the time. Mm-hmm. They're the champs, and they both can go. They're both super hyper athletic. Uh, Evil has one of the eeriest entrances he's like a grim reaper type figure so he'll be around for a while and then the one after that hiroki goto and minoru suzuki i think outside of the top two is the best match and i could honestly say this was better than the omega jericho which we'll get into this one was really good because minoru suzuki is a psychopath like he's had he has legitimate mixed martial arts win over ken shamrock like he's knocked out ken shamrock (laughs) Yeah. So he's he's like a pioneer he's in MMA. Fighter, that then, yeah. Exactly. So he has a, a reputation of being just brutal. He's like Bob Holly or like Chris Benoit, just like really stiff, really high quality wrestler who just is a lunatic. And Hiroki Goto and him have a have a history. Uh, Hiroki Goto has never beaten him. Minoru Suzuki has really signature hair where he like shaves it into a mohawk, and then the side of his hair is in like waves. So they did a a title, a hair versus hair match, and Suzuki lost. And it was a really, I think if you had never watched those two, you got a real good understanding of, of the storyline just based off of their wrestling. And one of the big knocks that a lot of Japanese wrestlers have is they're just athletic and can do moves, and they can't tell a story in the ring. And I think these two put that to bed, I mean, uh, people were crying in the in the in the in the crowd when <laughs> when Suzuki lost and he was he was like quote unquote unconscious. His his stable was carrying him out, trying to get him away before the hair shaving. Suzuki woke up and then pushed them away, brought his own chair in, and then shaved his own head because his whole thing is like honor and respect. So he shaved his own head and handed it to Goto and then walked away. So I think this is the best match outside of the top two. And I could honestly say it's the second best match of the entire night. And then the one after that, the Osprey, Skrull, Takahashi, and Kushida, which is, I was talking to you on kind of, I was, we had like an interaction on Twitter mm-hmm. outside of the main event. This is the one I was most excited for because Japan rarely does fatal four ways. They ra- rarely do triple threats. So the fact that they did four a fatal four way with junior heavyweights and gave them the spotlight was a really big deal. I mean, usually the junior heavyweight division is one of the first two. It's like 205 Live. So they don't really match, get enough yeah. credit. Exactly. And Will Ospreay, I think I think he's like 21 or 22. Uh, one of the best wrestlers. I think he's the best high flyer. He, he'll do anything. He will do. He'll, he can do like 
450 splashes, Phoenix splashes, shooting star press. Like, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. Marty Skrull is part of the Bullet Club. I think he's the best character at, in the light, in the junior heavyweight division. Uh, Hiromu Takahashi is by far the most charismatic. He's also in Los Ingobernables, and his gimmick is he's kind of like a lunatic. He walks out with a stuffed animal. Uh, he, he If you hit him... Uh, he'll like snap and then go crazy and he'll be unstoppable for 30 seconds. He's like, quote unquote, a time bomb. And then Kushida is the greatest junior heavyweight not named. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Jushin Thunder Liger is the greatest junior light heavyweight, but he's yeah. like 50. Mm-hmm. Kushida, I would probably put number two, but he's so bland. Like he can't really talk on the mic. He's not charismatic. He's just wicked good in the ring. He's like Cesaro. He's just so much better in the ring than everyone, but no one can relate to him. And then when he, him and Takahashi kind of had a back and forth, it was like Bret Hart, best wrestler in the world. Couldn't do much. It wasn't that charismatic. And then when Shawn Michaels came into the picture, it elevated their game. So this Fatal 4-Way is probably the best Fatal 4-Way I've ever seen in my life just because they did everything and they fit so much into a 20-minute thing. Well, it was an incredible undercard, to say the least. You had the three title fights, the three main title fights after that. Jose Young's Money Mitch Effect, talking about Wrestle Kingdom 12. And you mentioned uh, Tanahashi, just briefly yeah. with him. Him retaining his uh, Intercontinental Championship may be interesting, because this guy he, he took on, Jay White, is in his 20s, up and coming. I don't know. I don't know what you thought about that. I didn't. I was absolutely shocked. I mean... Looking at this at all, like I thought coming into this, this was going to be the best Wrestle Kingdom ever. Just like because of everything I said, it was a very historic. They were trying a lot of things that they'd never tried before. They were giving a lot of attention onto the people that it mattered. And they were really put they they went over and above in terms of storylines. And Tanahashi, like I said, is like 40. And what I didn't say earlier is like if you watch his match, he has this like one of those sleeves that Allen Iverson would wear. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's because he has a ruptured bicep. He's had a ruptured bicep since August. Whoa. And he he's very his whole thing is he won't take time off. He'll fight through the pain like he has not stopped wrestling because he's so used because New Japan 10 years ago was ba- was on the verge of bankruptcy and Tanahashi all these wrestlers like left it was like when WWE or WWF at the time was like was like failing and everyone jumped to WCW mm-hmm. everyone in New Japan was leaving and Tanahashi stayed and carried the entire promotion on his back so yeah you could say he's the same he's the John Cena of this of this promotion because he's the same age. They debuted the same time. He has all the, the same accolades. He has all the championships and everything, but he's also kind of like the undertaker where he's, he's so loyal to the WWF and never took conscience. Exactly. Like in Japan, if you think of new Japan, Tanahashi's face pops up. He is the promotion and he deserves time off. I mean, he's fought through this ruptured bicep, has refused. Not only has he refused to take time off, he's worked the bicep into the storyline where he'll have his opponents like go after his oh. arms because the fans know he's basically wrestling with one arm, and if those people attack his arm, it's better for the story. So like he does what's best for the promotion. Jay White was coming back from his excursion to to ring of honor like you said he's 
in his 20s. He's a really good-looking kid. He's a homegrown talent. Like, he's from New Zealand, and then he moved to Japan when he was a teenager just to learn how to be a New Japan wrestler. So he is the future of their promotion, and the fact that Tanahashi beat him absolutely shocks me. I thought this was the easiest easiest match to pick where I was like, there's no way Jay White's losing. He's the future of the company. Tanahashi needs time off. He needs to get his surgery. Uh, he's not in the main events. He's he's like he's won like nine of ten Wrestle Kingdom. So the times the time for him to take a step back is now. And the fact that he won completely blew me away. I don't get it. Maybe I maybe Jay White starts his own stable and he'll they'll wrestle again in a few weeks at the New Year's Eve Dash. But completely caught me off guard. Great match, but this is one that I was I was seriously questioning. That's why we don't bet on it. I mean, that's exactly. <laughs> I, I would have said if you would have asked me what's one guaranteed one bet, knock, I was like, yeah. "There's no way Tanahashi's winning this." And the fact it, I was shocked, absolutely takes, shocked. If he takes time off, he could come back, and that you know pop would be amazing too. Exactly, well, and the so. the problem is too, it's for the Intercontinental Title, which is a big deal in Japan. It's the mm-hmm. se- it's the number two belt, mm-hmm. and he was the champion, and him losing and giving the title to this young up and coming kid would have been perfect. It was like. A few WrestleManias ago, when John Cena beat Rusev, or then John Cena beat Bray Wyatt, like it didn't make sense then, and it doesn't make sense for this. Well, if we look at the two main event matches, yeah. and the one I, I I really want to talk to you about is the Kenny Omega Chris Jericho match. Now, Chris Jericho, who most American wrestling fans and Canadian wrestling fans would know as the WWE legend, starting out in well, really getting known in this country in WCW, but wrestling all over the place. But he goes to fight Kenny Omega, who also, like Jericho, is from Winnipeg and made a name for himself after falling out of the WWE developmental system, goes to New Japan and becomes a star. And Omega wins the match, which I don't think was that surprising, Jose. But here's what I want to say. It wasn't the best match in the world, but I want to just ask you what your expectations were because I, I'm... A full-on mark for Jericho, a huge fan of yeah. his. He was one of my favorites growing up. He's At the same time, he's 46 years old, 47. He's definitely put on some weight. He's not the same, but I still think telling the story and knowing that Jericho can work as a, as a variety of different roles, he was clearly the heel. He was clearly the dastardly heel, so to speak. I thought the storytelling was great, even if the action was just a step behind for a guy pushing 50 years old. Yeah, and... I think you hit you nailed it on the head. I mean, similar to the Cody Rhodes match, I didn't really have high hopes in terms of like a high quality wrestling match, just because Kenny is so athletic. He's in his and prime he, too. Exactly, he's in his physical prime. He doesn't wrestle as many dates as the WWE. He is, I think, the strongest. Like physically, he's one of the strongest wrestlers in the world for his size. I mean. Uh, Michael Elgin, who fought in the Gauntlet match, he was with War Machine. I think is a, is a is a low 300 high like in the high 290s and he's not fat he's like thick he's like uh, he he's like a Rusev but like four inches taller he's just a really thick guy and Kenny Omega can deadlift him over his head and turn him around like wow. Kenny Omega is so strong so fast and so athletic and Jericho is none of those things but what he is is he's a really good professional wrestler and they told a great story yeah kenny omega carried the match sometimes but i think jericho like you said was the heel and kenny has like you like kenny omega i like kenny omega everyone in the western audience loves kenny omega but in japan 
the Bullet Club is a is a heel faction. Like Kenny Omega is technically a villain in Japan. Uh, he's he's viewed as like the invading gaijin. He's 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 not Japanese. He always takes on uh, these Japanese heroes and beats them. He he ex- exiled AJ Styles from the Bullet Club when AJ Styles went to WWE. So Kenny Omega, Kenny Omega wrestled this as a babyface, and he was so much better as a babyface going up against Jericho because Kenny Omega is always the one that's throwing people into the ladders or pushing people off things or, or yelling at them or mm-hmm. mocking them. And yeah, he's really, cause Kenny Omega is also a great wrestler. He can do it all, but him being the babyface for some reason just felt more believable. And maybe it's because we're in the West and he's viewed as such a, as such like a folk hero in wrestling, like in ring of honor. He is so far from. He is the most over babyface in all of Ring of Honor. If he goes to pro PWG, there's I bet ninety nine percent of the audience is wearing Kenny Omega shirts. Every, basically, everywhere in the world outside of Japan, he's the most popular wrestler in the world. So it was really fascinating to watch him as a. It's just a fascinating scene to watch him as a babyface, which is why I was intrigued, and I think he knocked it out of the park. Yeah. He did a lot of spots in that we that you and I would be familiar with like jumping over the barrier on the tables like uh rope breaking with uh, uh a submission or or throwing chairs or getting the spray or bleeding like none of those things happen in Japan like bleeding is such a big no-no in New Japan like if you accidentally get cut they will stop the match even if yeah. it's in the middle of Although it. Although WWE's kind of changing that way too. <laughs> exactly, but new and new Japan like people in the crowd get angry at yeah. blood because they 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 don't want to see blood. They want to see an athletic competition. They don't want it to be brutal. And Kenny has really his point is he really wants to push the boundaries like there had never been a ladder match in New Japan history until Kenny Omega versus Michael Elgin last year. There had never been blood until Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. I mean, he is really pushing these boundaries with Japan and bringing a Western-style audience, and Jericho absolutely played his part. I mean, you could really tell he had been kind of handcuffed in the WWE style where you have to wrestle a certain way. There's all these camera cuts and every like. I know when you watch WWE that you, you see all of these outrageous camera cuts in like a 30-second span. Yeah, New Japan does Exactly. New Japan does none of it. So it was very bizarre to watch a Chris Jericho match where there's no editing. And I didn't have high hopes for it in terms of an athletic and high-quality wrestling match, but I was so fascinated to watch these two wrestle in Japan without the editing, pushing boundaries, and I think they knocked it out of the park. And I think this match is going to be talked about for a long time as a really pivotal moment in Japanese wrestling. I would agree with that. Uh, I think Jericho, it adds to his legacy as somebody, you know, who doesn't have, you would think, many more years wrestling. He wanted to wrestle a young gun. He wanted to get in there with Omega. Yeah. Um, I think that was good. Omega's and finisher the, looks very dangerous. Oh, I mean, I like the, it. The but one-winged I, angel? Yeah, how is he not going to break someone's neck at some point? <laughs> I think that's the best finisher in it's professional great, wrestling right now. It's great, but it terrifies right me. I, I'm like It is terrifying. And I, I, I would... I would be real nervous if it was anybody but Kenny Omega. He 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 knows how to do it well enough that he can pull it off and not injure the guy. But props to Jericho. I I think he's forty seven or forty eight, and he took a one winged angel directly on a steel chair. Like yeah. when they showed that, I was watching. I was like, "There's no way they're going to do this." Like Jericho's going to kick out, and then maybe maybe he'll like spike DDT 
Kenny Omega onto the ladder, I mean, onto the table, but he did it. Like, Kenny Omega one-winged angeled a 47-year-old onto a steel <laughs> onto a steel chair, which, Incredible. again, you would never see in Japan, which blew me away. So props to Jericho for putting on an absolutely spectacular story. And it was for the U.S. title, which was debuted in Japan in August. So this was mm-hmm. a way to really elevate that belt. And Jer- mm-hmm. uh, Omega won the inaugural one, and he's been defending it ever since. Wow. So when Omega eventually does lose... It will be a big deal. So this, like, new, what thing New Japan does that WWE doesn't really do is they really establish their titles. Like, Kazushi Okada, his title reign, like, like you and I was, I was said the yeah. last time, greatest title reign in the history of wrestling. So when he does lose, it's gonna be a really big deal. And I think they're doing that. They're doing a slow burn with this U.S. title, and I really like it. Greater than Bruno San Martino. <laughs> I think I yeah, okay, I mean, we'll I have agree. to get into that. Because he, he only defended it once a month, but it was a different yeah, time. Yeah. I don't want to speak bad about that era. That was just how it was when the business yeah. was starting out. But Jose Hung's Money Mitch Effect, the last match on the card oh was Okada gosh. and Naito. And I know you were really excited for this match. You compared these two to The Rock and Stone Cold. And you know I'm, I'm assuming, using that comparison, based on how I know you, that Naito is The Rock because you oh, think he's sure. like the coolest guy ever. Um, but this match, this was... This was sport. This was art form. This was, uh, and I'm watching this without really knowing the the true storyline. I didn't know who the heel or the face was. I just saw a great wrestling match, and I got to ask you this much. Did this match live up to your enormous hopes and expectations you had, and Um, was the outcome what you expected? It, the outcome was absolutely not what I expected, but halfway through the match, I I, I said out loud, Okada's gonna win, and everyone's gonna be so mad. But I'm I get why they made why they did it. So the thing with Naito and Okada is they are the Rock and Stone Cold, and they came up through the dojo at the same time. They debuted at the same time, and Naito didn't do his excursion. He he stayed in Japan. Now this is a big deal because uh, Naito was chosen as the next as one of the heir parents to Tanahashi, where he won the G1 and was guaranteed a, a title shot against Okada in 2015. Now, Okada and Naito were the two young guns, and they so they were going to main event. In the co-main event, it was going to be Shinsuke Nakamura and Hiroshi Tanahashi for the Intercontinental title. And fans, like you know how Roman Reigns is now, where yeah. everyone just boos the hell out of Roman Reigns? Uh-huh. That was Naito. They did not want Naito. Not they didn't boo. They didn't do anything. So when Naito entered the arena, oh, it was de- it was quiet. It was awful. It was so awkward. And Naito was like this real vanilla baby face. His finisher was the Stardust Press. He, he was, was a great the rock he, when he debuted. Exactly. He it, it, okay. Exactly. The the perfect analogy. Now he so when Okada and him were matched up in the main event over Shinsuke and Tanahashi, who were the two legends of the business, they put it to a vote with the fans. Who would you rather see in the main event? And the fans chose Tanahashi and Nakamura, so they demoted Okada and Naito. And and Naito lost, and he felt so betrayed by the fans, and he felt so much hate that he left um, New Japan to go to Mexico, where he created the Los Ingobernables uh, gimmick, he did the Tranquilo, and he came back as a new person, gave up the whole Stardust Press thing, 
and created the Destino, which is his finisher. He he is what we see Naito now. So he basically took everything that they hated and made it and and tweaked it to work against the fans, where he was now not a babyface. He didn't care what they thought. So he went from being the most hated, but he was hated like Roman Reigns is hated, and now he's loved like Stone Cold and The Rock were. So when he came back, the first thing he wanted to do was wrestle Tanahashi because Tanahashi stole the main event from him. So he beat Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom last year for the Intercontinental title, which was such a big deal because he beat him in a very brutal fashion. Flash forward a year later, he finally gets to rematch Okada in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom, the main event that was stolen from him two years ago and against the same person. And what I also forgot to tell you is he when he beat Tanahashi after before the Wrestle Kingdom, he won. So Naito won the heavyweight championship in 2016, lost it to Okada, and Okada hasn't lost since, since yeah. that time. So he's the last person to have the title before Okada was Naito. Now in this, Naito finally gets his main event that he's worked so hard for that the fans stole from him against the guy that basically after Naito left, Okada mocked him and was like, well, he's the reason that I didn't get that main event because the fans hate him and he's terrible and blah, blah, blah. Now Naito gets a shot. And if you watch it, every time he would do his Dostino, which is like that that uh, spinning DDT over the shoulders, he would drag Okada to the corner because he wanted to hit the Stardust Press, which was his old finisher, because he wanted to mock okada and beat him with his old finisher but okada exactly it's like if you don't but they and they don't tell you that you just have to know and just watching that every single time he would go for the stardust press he would miss or okada would kick out and the fans knew like you're not gonna win like you have to give up the stardust press gimmick you have to embrace 100% the LIJ lifestyle, and you have to win with the Destino. Only the Destino will win. You didn't beat him with the Stardust Press in 2015. You're not going to do it now. But Okada, Naito wanted to humiliate Okada, and that was his downfall. So ha- entering this match, no one in professional wrestling was as popular as Naito. He was white hot. And I was like, they have to pull the trigger and make if Naito finishes Okada's record-breaking title run he will be a god in wrestling he will be the most popular wrestler ending the longest streak against the best wrestler in the world like you have to do it pull the trigger it has to be done now it's like when stone cold beat Shawn michaels at wrestlemania 14 no one no one was popular and that match made stone cold so i was like this has to happen halfway through the match when he when he tried this uh, stardust press twice and failed I was like, Okada's winning, and they're going to set up the rematch for next year, and Naito's going to win with just the Destino, and it's going to be that much better, which I sincerely hope happens. Exact slow burn. Slow burn, storytelling at its finest. That's the nature of the beast. It was a phenomenal show uh, in Okada. Phenomenal. Just a a great wrestler, an all-time great wrestler. Never thought I'd see a tombstone as a setup move. Um, yeah, so that's the thing. To, uh, that's a thing too. Where Kenny Omega talked about a little bit, where in America a lariat, like a clothesline, yeah, is usually a, is a great exactly move. is a setup. In America, the, the 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 clothesline is a setup move, and the in the pile driver tombstone is a finisher. And it's the opposite in Japan, where if you do a tombstone, it's nothing. 
but a lariat because of Stan Hansen back in the eighties is a lariat is the most devastating move in in Japanese history. So a rainmaker is by far the most devastating finisher. So it's it's a clash of styles. And Omega said that when he wrestles, uh, like when he came to America to wrestle Okada, he had to tweak his style of wrestling a little bit because a clothesline would not be a big deal to American audiences watching, which is again a really fascinating thing to watch Japanese wrestlers wrestle for Americans. So I loved it. I thought it was the best wrestle kingdom of all time. Mm. Uh, my, one of my favorite matches ever. And if they do the rematch next year, you heard it here first on why they did it. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it now. I, I have 365 days of a slow burn ready. So I'm going to have to uh, really invest now. And you should, you guys can, everyone should tune into the G1 in June. Uh, Dominion's in May. Uh, the New Japan Dash is coming up. New Year's Eve Dash is coming up. So I, I, I really hope Wrestle Kingdom opens everyone's eyes to how great this promotion is. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. No one can uh, understate that. Well, Jose Youngs, before I let you go on the Money Mitch effect, I do have some other general business in the sports world to take care of, and that's NFL picks this weekend. Although not the most exciting slate of games. I yeah. think you'd agree with that. Yeah, as a Packers fan, as soon as the as soon as the Packers are eliminated, I, I I don't tune out, but it's I watch with a heavy heart. But I'm always excited. I'm uh, I'm always excited for the playoffs. That's for sure. The interesting thing for me isn't necessarily straight up winners because I think a lot of these favorites, especially in the AFC, should should hold on. But the betting <laughs> lines are very weird this week. Oh yeah, for sure. Because Kansas City, who's been a complete Jekyll and Hyde team this year, plays Tennessee, who I don't think is very good at all. And they're eight and a half point favorites. So that's the game that's got everybody, I would say, pretty confused. If if gun to my head, I'd probably say Kansas City figures out a way, especially with uh, Demarco Murray out. But can you really trust Andy Reid to cover a spread? I don't know if I'm there yet. No, nah, I, I don't. I don't know if they'll. I think they'll win. I don't think they'll cover the spread. But I just, it's hard to pick against Kansas City when Kansas City's the home team, especially in the playoffs against Mark. Sparks Mariota is still such a young rook, such a young quarterback, such a like Derrick Henry's what, like his second, third year in the league. Mm-hmm. I th- I think the Titans will be a problem in a few years, but they're just not there yet. But yeah, I don't. I think Kansas City rolls through them. Props to the Bills. That was quite a scene getting yeah, to the playoffs. That was awesome. And, you know, they had like a thirteen percent chance on the final day of the season. They needed all those tiebreakers to happen, and they got them. But this is a terrible matchup for them. For sure, Jacksonville's vulnerable. But not against this team. As, and, and if Shady doesn't play. That's exactly out, what I was going to say. Done. If Shady doesn't play, I don't. I think the Bills maybe get seven, maybe ten. I hope they. I really hope they do pull it off. I really like this Jacksonville team, uh, especially the defense. I'm a big Clay's Campbell fan just because I live in Arizona, oh, yeah. and he was he was like the heart and soul of that that best, Cardinals best defense free for so long. Signing of the year by far. Oh, without a doubt. I think he, in the entire NFL, it's hard to argue he's not the defensive MVP of the league. I mean, he turned that defense around. I really hope the Bills do do pull it out, but if LaShawn McCoy doesn't, I think the Jaguars just roll through him too. As good, or I'd say shaky at times, as Bortles has been, if Jacksonville gets up by double digits at any point in this game, I don't see a scenario where Buffalo gets back with as good as the Jags secondary is playing at home. Yeah, and people keep com- people keep comparing Bortles to like the Trent Dilfers and the Brian J- Brad Johnsons of the of the Super Bowl win- winners of past, but this Jacksonville defense is not anywhere near the 2000 Ravens or 2002 Buccaneers. So uh, it'll be interesting to see which Bortles show up. But in the end, 
we, they might not even need the best Bortles if LaShawn McCoy doesn't play. No, that's true. Uh, but the NFC has much more, and it's a deeper field in the NFC. Oh, I think for everybody sure. Everybody agrees on that, and the wild card matchups reflect that. Carolina New Orleans is the four-five matchup. New Orleans won the NFC South, or that saw three teams go into the playoffs: the four-five and six seeds. Yep. But I'm going to ask you this: so the Saints are at home; they've beaten the Panthers twice. Do you put any stock into the "it's hard to beat a team or an individual three times" theory, whether it's MMA or or? football or and I don't want to talk pro wrestling but you know, the other sports <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. do you think there's truth to that do you think the Saints could have some a tough time here beating the Panthers again I think it's always tough beating a team three times and if I'm not I I'm not 100% I could be wrong but I think when the Packers won the Super Bowl in 2011 they beat the Bears three times or they they definitely played them three times because they they beat the Bears in the NFC Championship game but Drew Brees is Drew Brees and he always pulls out a way to win but in this, and this Saints team is is like all run like what they have two thousand yard rushers. Mark Ingram has had the best year of his career. Kamara uh, the is Pan- unstoppable. <laughs> exactly. The Panthers are like I think the Panthers are real similar to the Jaguars, where they're sold Jekyll and Hyde. Where they barely beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the last game of the season. So I think I think this is the Saints to lose, and I think the Saints are going to cause a lot of problems in the playoffs for whoever plays them. If Carolina beats. There was the Saints, so the Saints lose to the Falcons end of the year, and Carolina loses, or the Saints lose to the Bucks. Excuse me, Carolina loses to the Falcons. If Carolina would have beat Atlanta, they would have knocked Atlanta out of the playoffs and given themselves a home game in this in this scenario as well, which would have been very beneficial. I just don't like the matchups for Carolina. I think that's the root of the problem. It's always hard to beat yeah. the same team three times, but the Saints secondary is really really good. Marshawn Lattimore is probably going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. What receivers does Carolina have that can get open on this secondary? I'm not so sure. I've heard Funches is banged up. And the guy we didn't mention is Michael Thomas on the Saints. He's been a nightmare for Carolina in both matchups. So I, I think the Saints win. It's another home team. But this just is maybe the worst matchup in the entire NFC for Carolina. Yeah, and I just, yeah, like at the end of the day, it just comes out to I think the Saints are just a better team. Like you said, they could if they had pulled off the win at the end, they would be having the home field advantage. Uh, what they started zero and two, zero and three, something like that, and then they like like they just ran through the rest of the competition for so long. Uh, I think they're better than their record shows, and I think they're better than their seeding shows. So I think I think the Saints could is are going to be a real big problem, and I would not be surprised if they made it all the way to the NFC Championship game. I'll tell you what game I'm most excited for, and that's the last one. The Falcons. Oh, hundred percent for me too. Hundred percent. It, it, it's the game. It's the it's the reason that. I think we're all excited for, and and being the Saturday night game, uh, I think adds to that element too. It's going to be a barn burner to say the least. The Rams are at home, back in the playoffs, first time over a decade. The Falcons sneak in on the last week of the season as the sixth seed, perennially underachieving throughout the year. The Rams at home, NFC West division winners, three seeds in the playoffs, six-point favorites over the Falcons. I know the Rams have looked good. Gurley's been amazing, set fantasy records the final you know weeks 14, 15, and 16. And the Falcons have struggled. But I just got to think this line is a little too high. They're still the Falcons. They're still talent over there, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the defending NFC champions we have, we're talking about. And they don't like any team with Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. Like, not even Matt Ryan. Like, Julio Jones is arguably the best receiver in football. I know a lot of people say Antonio Brown, but in my mind, it's 1A, 1B for both of them. And uh, Devontae Freeman 
hasn't looked like he did last year, but he's still Devontae Freeman. He's still Matt Ryan. He's still Julio Jones. And uh, I, at the end of the day, I just think the Rams are still a better football team, but I don't think they're going to blow him away. I think this is going to be a really hotly contested game. Uh, the, I don't know how the Falcons travel. I haven't really kept up with them much this season. Uh, but the Rams, like you said, Todd Gurley has looked unstoppable. I think he's going to, he's on a lot of people's shortlist for MVP. It's, it's like him, Brady, and Carson Wentz. Uh, Jared Goff has been playing out of his mind. Cup has look, been looking great at receiver lately. So, but I just think the Rams are better. But I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to be a real close game. I definitely like the points in the Falcons. And I think, I, you know what? The way the NFL works, Jose, I, I can't talk myself into picking all home teams. I think I like the Falcons here as the upset. I think this yeah, is a game where something crazy you. happens. I'm on the ledge with the Falcons. They've disappointed me uh, all year. The loss to the Dolphins was the worst loss I think I saw sure. by a big team all and season. And it, it does make sense. Like, Jared Goff is what? It's his second year in the league or mm-hmm. something like that. First Todd playoff Gurley, game for exactly. these Exactly. It's like first playoff games for all of them. There was not high expectations coming into the season. The What, the, the head coach is like our age. Uh, Todd Gurley is like his fourth, fifth year in the league. At the end of the day, it re- it honestly could come down to just experience. And Matt Ryan went to the Super Bowl. He played Tom Brady. He stared across Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in the biggest game of his career. So yeah. I don't I it could absolutely come down to just veteran experience. We gotta just unplug Sarkeesian's uh, headset and then we should be Oh okay. my god, yeah but for sure. It's not cold weather and I don't expect the crowd to be abnormally, you know, raucous, so to speak. No, yeah, the Rams fans. are known to have the most outrageous yeah. fans. But it's not like going to Philly or going, you know, going oh, no the, way. Into, the, into a dome like, you know It's easier yeah. to play in the Rams than it is to play in New Orleans, I'll say that much. For sure. Well, Jose Youngs, this was fun. Thanks for coming on the show, talking New Japan Pro Wrestling and Anytime, football. Man. And lastly, are we going to see? I know we might have to wait, but I really want to see Khabib and Connor. Khabib's got, uh, Khabib's got car- charisma, man. He's proving I, it. From everything I've heard, the UFC might actually do Khabib versus Tony. Yeah, because Connor, what I'd heard Connor too. doesn't want to fart. But uh, I'm sure we'll talk before UFC 220, and I'll, I'll try and get some more info for you by then. For sure. I just I want to see the best fight the best, and uh, you know whatever gets us to that point as well. But uh, there's 100%. Some big fights coming. That's up. the name of the game. There's some big fights coming up at Jose. Thanks again for coming on the show. Anytime, man. And that's going to do it for our first show of the new year. Big thanks again to both guests, Sean Sullivan, Sully, and Jose Youngs. They do great stuff, and for them to come on the show, wouldn't have it any other way to break down. All the headlines this year uh, to start the year off. College football, New Japan Pro Wrestling, NFL. We will be back on next week for multiple episodes to cover the college football championship game, the divisional playoff round, and more headlines. I think I got some guests lined up. It's going to be a great year. We're going to talk to winter sports as well. You're not going to want to miss any of that. A reminder that the Money Mitch Effect can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. This episode and every episode in the series now at 125 in total. You can find us there. You can rate us, subscribe, leave a review, and uh, just spread the word. Keep spreading the word because that's how this podcast has grown. Hope everybody out there also, by the way, got a chance to read that Patriots uh, article on ESPN about Belichick, Brady, and uh, Robert Kraft, the internal strife that may be taking place. It's a fascinating read. Also, goes to say, I think it goes without saying, actually, that 
many, if not all, fan bases would gladly take internal strife to win the championships that they have. But a very fascinating read nonetheless. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. I appreciate all of you for listening to me. And until next time, keep watching and keep enjoying sports.